Welcome, one and all, to the Moon Knight Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I'm not a mercenary. I'm a gift shop-ist. The Moon Knight Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Episode 1, The Goldfish Problem, is brought to you by Soupwagen Cupcake Fan. Pete, you can't go wrong with some cupcakes. Here we are diving into the first episode of Moon Knight. Really, really glad uh, to be here with our listeners, old and new, as we start this new series that uh, presented us a really dynamic first episode. Absolutely. But with all that we're doing, Matt, the, the show news prior to beginning our recap here, uh, really about Star Trek Picard, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yes, we, of course, will be podcasting uh, Picard, Star Trek Picard, episode 205 tomorrow, for those who listen on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. Uh, meanwhile, in the galaxy far, far away, the announcement that the Obi-Wan uh, premiere is no longer the, May the 25th. It's now May the 27th, so a Friday, but we get two episodes that day. Um, that's that's exciting for a variety of reasons, including that's kind of the, the Disney plus movie premiere slot and all that, you know, they tend to do movies on Fridays and whatnot. So great to get more upfront there. Uh, and then star Trek, strange new worlds, taking a different marketing approach, uh, where they're doing these character centric commercials and it's, Pete, it, 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 it's different. I know sometimes we, we, we uh, take Paramount Plus to task for all valid reasons. This is a way to cut through the chatter and do something different and new. I like it. We had chided them on our most recent podcast for making their teaser all about two and a half characters. Um, so this is a good way to get the identities out for those others. We'll be talking about that on the Strange New Worlds podcast by Fantastic Geek this week. Just a note about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So moving from uh, Wednesday, May 25th to Friday, the 27th, primarily because of the Star Wars celebration that is set to go on that weekend in Anaheim. They're going to have a screening of those first two episodes and then everybody else will get that little bit of buzz. Additionally, they'll go head to head with the first part of Stranger Things 4 that weekend so it's on against netflix and then they will return to wednesday drops on obi-wan kenobi so matt we're gonna have half of obi-wan kenobi within six days uh june 1st being the episode three drop so uh we've already been predicting busy times around here for us uh once moon night ends uh, and getting ready for Strange New Worlds, Kenobi, and then Ms. Marvel once we begin to podcast that uh, June 8th. But uh, yeah, just a little uh, wrinkle in the schedule there. Great catch there that it, it they may have doubled the episodes up to... Uh you know, to, to compete or go head to head or, or whatever the exact thing is that you do in the streaming world. Um, but I, I have to confess, Pete, I'm looking forward to watching Stranger Things season four. Stranger Things, not a show that we podcast. So I get to be a civilian uh, while watching, but <laughs> I did not have its exact release date on my radar. So that's, that's very interesting. Uh, among other things, Pete, I know that when the weekend is over, 
there will be more Kenobi to watch when the weekend when that weekend is over. Uh, I know Stranger Things is releasing in two parts, but season four, part one, by the the end of the weekend, there won't be more. Um, so if nothing else, it'll be testing the the oldie time streaming model, uh, if we can call the Netflix model oldie time, uh, along with the the newer and more throwback model of one uh, you know one episode a week. So around these parts, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, all the pluses keeping us plenty busy. Looking forward to bringing it all to our listeners. It's time for our episode, Raw Cap. A man spreads out a cloth on a table, outstretching his arms to reveal a tattoo of the scales of justice with alligators before making fists. There's a cane with the same alligator on it, a pair of sandals, and a glass. He fills the glass with water and rubs the rim before drinking it and turning it upside down, covering it with the cloth, and smashing it with the cane. He then takes the glass and fills the sandals with it, placing them on his feet, standing and walking off using the cane. Super evocative opening here, the slower pace. You know, it's, it's we don't know who this is, although you can probably infer it's, you know, the Ethan Hawke character. Uh, but we don't know who it is. It's weird to be putting glass into the sandals and there's that slow, you know, the one foot goes in, the other foot goes in. Also want to call out the sound design here, whatever they are using to evoke the shards of glass. Um, Pete, I was thinking maybe it was like uh, glass beads in a grapefruit rind or something like that, but it just sounds so, you know, it sounds so glassy uh, without being, you know, kind of too over the top. Um, This is our... Our, our prelude, of course, we get 60s music playing over the standard MCU banner. Mid-song, logo over. We cut to Oscar Isaac waking up, immediately getting the sense that uh, he feels perhaps in a strange place. Certainly it's strange to us. He is shackled to a post. He undoes the Velcro. He steps out of the bed area. We see that sand uh, circles the bed. He also notes that the painter's tape uh, is still fixed to the door, so suggesting to him and to us that the door is sealed. Uh, We hear him speak with a British accent as he feeds Gus the fish uh, while phoning Mom. uh, Later, a bit more clear that he's leaving Mom a message. uh, Doubtless a source of mystery. Uh, He still wakes up every morning feeling uh, like he's been hit for a bus. He walks out. He greets... for a bus? Uh, it's all bus necked. Um, hit, gre- I was I was hit for a bus. <laughs> um, he greets the broom vendor who's who's always there, but that's okay. That's okay. Easy exposition here, Pete, showing how you know how courteous uh, the I believe currently yet unnamed Stephen is. Um, I- indeed, in a couple minutes, we're going to get him saying, "Stephen, Stephen, look!" as he points to his ID tag. We're not quite there yet, but I'm just pointing out. This is a very smooth and easy introduction of this character as we're learning about things that are mysterious to us, things that perhaps should be mysterious to him, uh, and certainly his easygoing and uh, respectful manner. Some stuff about Gus's aquarium, the one-finned goldfish. There's a pyramid in the tank along with a Nefertiti head. 
and an obelisk and a boat very evocative of ancient Egypt. Um, nodding off there on his way to work and you know you mentioned the sound design the makeup they do with oscar isaac to make you uh look at the rims of his eyes really really um helpful to sell the idea that he is you know doing things and trying to uh keep himself from getting into trouble when he is sleeping um at the museum uh girl stuffs a I believe they called him sweets wrapper into a, a pyramid uh mistaken it for the rubbish dump and um stevie uses this opportunity here uh to tell her how they would stick a metal hook into the people before they went into the sarcophagus and remove all the organs but their heart because that needed to be judged in the underworld with only the worthiest allowed to pass through the field of reeds and then donna tells him that he's not the bloody tour guide yet again tapping his badge there as you mentioned matt he is steven not stevie and she reminds him his job is to sell jellies to children Again, I am amazed at how, you know, how the show is letting us know this character at a decent, you know, at a decently fast pace. However, it doesn't feel rushed. Um, none of it does, particularly since this is a character, as we said in our preview podcast, this is a character who is not, you know, already part of the kind of pop culture zeitgeist in terms of like, we all know Bruce Wayne's parents are going to die. We all know it's Jonathan and Martha Kent that rescue, you know, young Kal-El and, and so on and so forth. There being so much of a mystery here, you know, there could have been a thousand different ways to be like, we have to dive on in. So you really know this guy um, and we're diving in. It just doesn't feel like a, like a splash of cold water. Um, his uh, interaction here with Donna, of course, Donna immediately, you know, we're rooting against Donna because she's, she's, uh, rude to him um a, a lady friend stops by uh wanting to make sure that uh they the lady friend and uh steven are still on for tomorrow he seems a bit confused wait who's asking who out oh ha 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 he's so funny uh they're gonna go to a steakhouse the best steak in town uh although as the lady friend walks off donna reminds steven uh you know he's a vegan kind of good luck with that in the storeroom He's talking more about his great knowledge of Egypt, including the Aeneid, the supergroup of Egyptian gods. Uh, it's still, however, a no to him being a tour guide. I think we all go, oh, but he's so Oscar Isaac-y. Um, he's crushed to hear that, but uh, he, it's okay. He's fine with it. Again, we're seeing that affable nature. Uh, he does note a marketing blunder. Marketing shows seven gods when there should be nine. Yeah, it's all selling his knowledge of Egypt and of course us as the audience knowing of course he knows more than everybody else here uh but it's still not going to get him a tour guide gig answers still no um and she threatens to shove him in a sarcophagus uh as big pimpin a remix 
plays on the walk out there. Uh, he wishes security card JB a good night, uh, who promptly calls him Scotty, but it's Steven with a B. By the way, Pete, a little snafu in my notes here. Uh, my notes say he says good night to security god JB. I don't know if that's <laughs> foreshadowing. Maybe it, you know, <laughs> perhaps it will be one of these you know, Egyptian greats has taken the form of JB. I, maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. Um, later, we see Stephen uh, with a V uh, talking about walking at night. Uh, he's talking to a street performer frozen as a statue. Uh, Stephen recaps the, the mystery date. He snaps a picture for the mystery couple. Oh, don't forget to tip the street performer. The scene here is all about tension. When will this street performer move? He doesn't. Stephen talks about the ankle restraints uh, being something he kind of needs to move past, especially if he's going to eventually bring a lady friend home. He needs to figure it all out. And again... The gold man, Matt. There is significance here uh, for long-term... Moon Knight fans, and a little bit on the show. Uh, Pete, I, let me ask you this. I know it's not theories yet. Is it Jeremy Irons in there? That's no. a Watchmen callback. No, no, uh. that is not Jeremy Irons. The actor, that is Sean Scott. Um, he is playing a character named Crawley, and Jeremy Slater actually uh, admitted on Twitter there uh, that he... He put that in there. They they got a Crawley reference in. Um, Crawley is a character from the Moon Knight comic that, uh, you know, would interact with uh, Mark Spector, uh, lived on the streets of New York, um, has a flair for the dramatic, and is usually seen carrying a reusable tea bag. So none of that was there, but <laughs> they gave us the uh that this is crawley he is listed in the credits as crawley later we get on the phone a reference to another longtime moon knight sidekick uh and the aforementioned jeremy slater of course the uh series creator and uh and head writer because pete in the mcu we don't call them showrunners uh it is because it's a kevin feige production um that night uh, we see Stephen back in his loft, his, his rather uh, impressive-looking loft, may I say. His flat. Uh, indeed. He, he took the lift to his flat. Uh, he pours the sand. He places the tape. He locks his doors. Pete, I think in London they still call them doors. They don't call them wobbly portals or something. <laughs> um, he gets into bed. He tightens the ankle restraint. Uh, Pete, he listens to the Staying Awake podcast. I'm glad to see... He's enjoying a podcast to stay awake as opposed to a podcast that'll put him to sleep. Uh, hopefully ours is uh, more of the staying awake version than the falling asleep version. Uh, intercut with that is him fiddling with a Rubik's Cube. Some repetition here, perhaps suggesting not just repetition on the evening, but perhaps multiple evenings. Uh, he's reading about ancient Egypt. It loops and loops even as he reads about the rift between gods and men uh, in ancient Egypt. Uh, then a hard cut to Stephen in the grass, like a really hard cut. Yeah, the Aeneid even referenced there with that rift. Face down in this green grass in the day, he groans and gasps as he comes up. The left side of his jaw pops and there's blood. Um, 
so yeah, that was uh, definitely a transition. Uh, what happened? He wonders as he stands. There's mountains in the distance, uh, and there's a view over a village. And then a male voice tells him to go back to Sleepworm. Uh, he's not supposed to be there, though. Stephen completely agrees. He wants to know where this voice is, which tells him then to surrender the body to Mark, um, and that the idiot is in control. In his right jacket pocket, he has a gold scarab. And then a bandaged figure with a staff is briefly visible behind him. When he turns, it's gone. There's a castle. He looks up, and there's a bald man at an open window who he waves to and waves back. And then another man with a gun pops out and asks what that other man is doing, and they both shoot at him. Um. <laughs> Luckily, Pete, they miss quite a bit. Perhaps this is the great conjunction of Star Wars and Marvel, and perhaps these are stormtroopers. I don't know. Or, um, I know that at this uh, point... Even though Steven is in control, he's protected by the skills of the others inside. Oh. Uh, Pete, with that, what sounds to me to be the voice of Salieri tells him to not stand there, run. Um, in the town, he's still running. He's avoiding baddies. Uh, who, you know, who are at every alleyway and so forth. He blends in with a, a crowd ending up in the square. Folks stop and uh, whisper, parting ways for uh, the yet unnamed Ethan Hawke, the sound of glass underfoot. Not, not, not overtaking the sound mix, but it's there, Pete. Uh, onlookers reach to touch for his cloak. Pete, there's other stories where people do that. Um uh, the Ethan Hawke character I'm uh, going to be named in a little bit as Arthur Harrow uh, which is my way of saying maybe I won't call him Ethan Hawke the whole time uh, Harrow notes it's a beautiful day like heaven but this is not heaven there's darkness in our hearts how can we make earth more like heaven a man steps forward and offers his soul for judgment the man is given the cane which swings back and forth uh, he is judged in Amit's name uh, but with a fraction of her power we see the scale tattoo moving, uh, and hopefully, Pete, it turns green. Green is good. Later, red is bad. Uh, and then we get the dialogue that the man has been judged to be a good man. This is the face of a good man here. Gets hugged as the guys with guns move in, and Stephen moves away. Who'd like to go next here? There's a woman who must know. Uh, he tells her to call him Arthur and asks if she'll accept the scales regardless of the outcome. Of course, she gets the red-rimmed scales there, tipped in one direction. Uh, he's sorry, even though she's been good her whole life, Matt. He believes her, but the scales see everything. Perhaps something lies ahead. He wishes she could live to see the world they'll make. Yet Ahmed has decided, and her hands get ashen and dark as she falls. This with the gun guys getting ever closer and the body carried off. A goon tells uh, Harrow he's sorry there was a problem with the exchange. They got ambushed. And someone killed two men. Is he still here? Harrow asks. They think so. 
and Harrow speaks maybe Egyptian, maybe Sanskrit, not quite sure. And everybody kneels, but Stephen. Oh, bollocks. Uh, he is identified by the the Harrow goons as a mercenary. Um, and uh, Stephen says he's ready to hand the scarab uh, over. Again, we hear the voice telling him to give back nothing. His hand closes around the scarab, seemingly against his will. Uh, he says, Stephen does uh, to Arthur Harrow, that his fingers are frozen. He's able to get the scarab out of one hand, ready to hand it over. Then the, the other hand clutches it. He doesn't know what's happening. His legs take over, kind of in jaunty walking fashion. You know, here we are, Pete, 60 seconds ago, a woman's life force was pulled from her. And in the briefest frames, you could see this, you know, sunken face and darkened skin and all of that. Now we're at kind of slightly silly uh, walking here. Madcap. <laughs> if that if that does not encapsulate the success, uh, and I'm being serious here, if that does not encapsulate the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 60 seconds, I don't know what does. Where it's like magic scary? Now it's like magic funny and it's all it all feels like it's part of the same scene. I mean, indeed, it is taking place in the same scene, but it all kind of tonally fits. Um, the guards ultimately pull him. Um, and just as they are reaching for the scarab, um, Stephen flashes in the first of a number of these really great, you know, kind of moments. Uh, we see his face bloody, his hand very bloody. The scarab still there. Oh, no, says the voice. The idiot's back. Um, and uh, he made them angry. Uh, with that, he starts to run, even as the voice tells him not to drop the scarab. And this, Pete, is when he gets into that delicious-looking cupcake van. Yes. On an Autobahn-esque road here, whams, wake me up before you go-go, Blair's. Uh, what is Steven doing? He doesn't even have his license, he tells us. Uh, a little unrealistic, Matt. The cupcakes are uncovered throughout the van and, again, looking so delicious. In addition to uh, the goldfish later in the blender um, poster, they also put out one with the, the cupcake that if it doesn't make you crave cupcakes, you're some form of higher being. Um, I happen cars, to be quite a talented cupcake maker, by the way. I mean, not, not professionally so, but I consider myself quite the amateur cupcakerist. I should say this. I've never had a cupcake Matt has baked. Wow. Uh, and we've known each other for 12 years, so uh, that needs to change. I might have to get on uh, that, yeah. Cars chasing here. There's so many of them. Stephen laments. It has to be a dream. Uh, we go down a twisty road here. They're going to kill him. Come on, you bloody cupcake fan. <laughs> and just the way that Oscar Isaac sells the humor in the same way that F. Murray Abraham's voice, particularly with its echoey kind of, you know, I, I feel I can sense the booth he's recording in, but I feel like that's part of the trick to sell the voice within his body. Um, and the body Steven, is the booth. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Steven selling the, the humor, even with, you know, the um, unbelievable nature of this jam he's gotten himself into. 
there's a chicken truck ahead now. He's getting rammed from behind. And as the cupcake van skitters on the edge of a cliff there with dirt going over, he passes the woman driving the chicken <laughs> truck who promptly gives him the finger. <laughs> the old, the sweet old woman who's just trying to get the chickens to market or whatever. Um, you know, again, tension and humor. It, it, it's just in the last couple of weeks that I, Pete, I watched uh, a movie from a film franchise uh, of, of which you are largely unaware. The name of the movie is called F9. Um, and there's many a fight in box trucks and large military trucks and so forth. And this does it better, which is it cuts out most of the fight uh, in a moment. Um, we have the tension. We have the humor. Um, we have the pursuing man jumping into the truck. Steven kind of takes him out with a cupcake. Uh, certainly, we see that the cupcake is mashed uh, against the, the pursuing man's face. Uh, then we get those flashes. All of a sudden, Steven is holding a gun. The man with the cupcake on his face is now in the back of the truck, dead. Uh, indeed, rolls out of it. Um, probably the, the the Marvel Disney decision that when the man rolled out of it, the cars behind him swerved. Mm -hmm. um, the voice uh, tells uh, Stephen, truck, truck, watch out for the truck. Uh, he does, but the lumber truck takes out a few baddies. I'll say this, Pete, the way that they have what is undoubtedly a computer effect, but one of the bad guy trucks smashing into that lumber truck, mm -hmm. it felt like one of the more jarring action seconds of the MCU because it was just like, yes, the bad guys in that car are unambiguously kaput. That is it. Yeah, well, hold on to your hats with the, the logs here. Um, after that truck uh, skids and uh, they go, he goes around it, the other's hitting it. He's got cars on each side. Uh, the scale tattoos visible on uh, the inner forearms of these baddies. They're aiming guns. Um, and then the one on the other side, another time flash and now the cupcake van is driving in reverse the windshield is shot out there's a car that goes off the cliff and then he throws the gun at the car that is ramming him and uh Kanshu asks here did he just throw the gun <laughs> steven doesn't know what he's doing then leave us be parasite uh the truck sputters to a stop and steven is cornered uh, his hands are up, uh, but it's at this point, uh, because of course we've been on these tight S turns going down the mountainside, uh, it's at this point that the remnants of the lumber truck take out, uh, the baddies in, in pretty spectacular, uh, form, um, and kind of mid action moments, Steven wakes up in his own bed. He laughs, suggesting that it was just a dream. We, I think are suspicious of that. He sees that the tape is in place. Uh, he pulls it down and drops it with all the other pieces, which I thought might be a detail. Maybe it's a detail for us and not him. Like, how many days have you been spending taking these right. pieces of tape down? You know, he talks to Gus, the goldfish. He wonders what goldfishes dream about. But wait, this Gus has two fins. He says, what the fish? Uh, how'd he get two fins? Cut to the pet shop. Uh, the pet shop lady uh, tells him that he bought pet a fish. Girl. Uh, Pete, I, I say, <laughs> uh, it does occur to me, Pete, it's only on our 
most recent Star Trek Discovery podcast that we were talking about, um, the pet shop owner character played by Hiro Kanagawa all the way back in Best in Show. Here we have another pet shop. I don't know what it all means, Pete, that our pop culture properties are having intersections with pet shop owning characters, but but that's what's happening here. And what does she say, Pete? What do you mean it grew back here? Yesterday, he says the fish had one fin. It was like that when he bought him. Now it's got two. Is this normal or... She offers the opportunity for him to swap it. But like she said yesterday, they've all got two fins. What do you mean yesterday? He wasn't there yesterday. Yeah, all right, you weren't. They've all got two fins. She doesn't care what that Nemo movie, also on Disney Plus, says. Um, Find her a pet shop that sells disabled fish and go there. Uh, she doesn't have time for this, and he asks if that clock is right. Looks to be about 5.05 p.m. It's impossible. He just woke up, but she wonders, is he mad or, like we would say in Britain, daft? Uh, the fish is wrong. The time is wrong. He's not quite right, but bugger, he has a date. Uh, we cut to him dressing where he says he looks like a knob. Uh, all he just needs to do is crease that collar pro- uh, properly, and I think he'll look A-OK. Uh, we cut to him waiting at the restaurant. Uh, the lady is a no-show. He calls her. Subtitles uh, reveal her to be named Dylan. She's upset. She ate steak on Friday. Yeah, today's Friday. I'm at Best Steak in Town. No, no, no. That, time. <laughs> that was two days ago. Today's Sunday. She says, lose my number, and hangs up on him. Uh, Pete, if nothing else, I mean, obviously the the thrust of this restaurant scene to show his loss of time and gap in his consciousness and all that but another example where we say oh i feel bad for him um and, and he's also not up here of his face and his voice you know that he when asked uh you know because the kitchen is closing if he'd like to order he'll have the best bit of the steak <laughs> which cut <laughs> um the waiter decides here he'll give him the the center cut filet you know uh and how would he like that cooked very good very good he'll put him in for well done and oscar isaac just sells this sadness that he has inside him here having screwed up because of his inability to keep time to keep himself from doing whatever he is when he falls asleep and then you know changes over uh possession of his body we see steven going back to his loft apartment uh the coolness of it i mean like the cool awesomeness now seeming like cool iciness he eats the chocolates alone Uh, he gives gus a sprinkle this is of course a bad idea don't feed your fish sprinkles, Pete. That's a that's a real statement from me to the listeners here. Don't feed your fish anything other than fish food. Not a good idea. Um, on the phone with mom, they're leaving another message. Uh, of course, she loved the flowers. Oh, he'll bring her around sometime. She's got a great sense of humor. Um, this Belgian chocolate, Matt, perhaps some hint as to where he was. Uh, that we're told later, the Alps. Um, and just the dejected 
nature that he sells as he's going through this. Uh, but if that's Gus, he's the bloody queen of Sheba. Drops the chocolates, and as he's picking them up, notices marks on the floor leading to a rug, which he pulls up and sees something's been scraped across the floor. Uh, he drags the table and looks up, sees a crooked board, uh, stands on the table. What is this all about? And fishes out of it an old Motorola-style cell phone and a car key with a U logo on it. Flips the phone open. The first seven missed calls are from Layla. Um, he scrolls all the way down to 31. Uh, 32 is Duchamp. That, of course, is a well-known sidekick from uh, the Moon Knight comic run. It remains to be seen if Duchamp is going to show up uh, on the Marvel show, but at least he's called, Matt. Um, we get into the 40s here with more Layla's, and then an incoming call from her that Stephen answers after a pause. Oh, my God, he's alive. That's it. She's been texting and calling him for months. Uh, he couldn't give any sign. He was okay. She thought something happened to him. Where is he? Where has he been? Sorry. He just found this phone in his flat and is trying to figure out who it is. But what is with this accent? Pete, to rewind ever so slightly, I, I need to explain for some of our more youthful listeners, okay, the Motorola Razor was the apex of the clamshell cell phone style back in the day. To see it is a reminder of the way phones were before smartphones. So it's both a very, very cool phone and also, as I'm sure we all are aware, youthful or uh, young at heart, uh, also oldie fashioned in that it's not a smartphone there. Um, so again, all this notion here of uh, of the phone call and and he's made contact with Layla, but there's there's all this confusion here. Pete, perhaps most confusing to uh, to him, and perhaps less confusing to us is that she says, "What's wrong with you, Mark?" It's not the first time we've heard that name in this episode, but perhaps the first time it's been directly linked to him. Um, he asks uh, who this is, and she hangs up. Uh, then we hear, not from the phone, uh, we hear kind of in the ether, uh, a male voice, I would argue, Pete, an Oscar Isaac male voice calling for Stephen, telling him he needs to stop, he'll get in trouble. Uh, Stephen follows the voice to uh, a corner, more specifically to the bathroom, but there's the no one. Uh, the loo, indeed. Uh, no one is there, uh, however, the mirror appears to be, looking back at him a bit differently. Um, electricity buzzes in the apartment and the voice calls at him uh, uh, again. It tells him to stop looking. Uh, the building seems to shake and uh, Stephen runs for it and runs into the elevator. Uh, Pete, I think if I did a PSA here for not feeding uh, goldfish sprinkles, I should also mention if you think you're experiencing an earthquake uh, or even, I guess, even electrical troubles, don't take the elevator, go for the stairs. Although I will grant you the elevator is a much more uh, evocative use for the story that's about to unfold. We need to talk about the use of reflection and mirrors thus far. When he awakened after the Alps, 
um, in the reflection, uh, you could see there were three of him, um, one on each side. And then when he was putting the tie on knob that he is, it was in um, a three-part mirror. So again, two other images present there. This mirror in the loo, the circular one, uh, where the reflection started moving on its own. So there's a very clear progression of what's going on here on top of you know, the uh, just dread that he seems to have, um, the confusion. And then heading out to that lift with, you know, that's an unusual style of elevator with a, a mirrored back um, and all part of... And a mirrored selling, front once the doors close because that's how you're getting yeah, the reflection back and forth. Yeah. Selling that dread and, you know, what what's going on in the mirrors there uh going uh down a floor um and then uh you know the the flashing the exit sign the eerie music uh there's a massive shadow and we're told in the subtitles a monster mumbling the flashes move uh toward him and suddenly there is a beak and a staff and he cowers on the floor of the li- of the lift, and then in comes an old woman. Thank you. Great moment of terror than humor. Like you know, I-, I tend not to like outright horror and scary stuff. This was right on the edge of fun. Um, Pete, if if I may evoke another Disney property, this was kind of like Tower of Terror scariness, just the right amount. But never do you think like. Oh man, this monster is going to rip him apart. Um, it, great, great moment. Um, she's clearly a bit shaken by this man on the floor here. Uh, she's emotionally shaken. He says he's looking for a contact lens. Um, she gets off at the next time it opens, and she's also, you know, looking at him in a fearful way. It's clear that she does not feel safe with mm-hmm. him. Um, ultimately, he's in the elevator alone. He looks over, he sees the Egyptian form and cries out and then wakes up uh, on a bus. Uh, he gets off at, it can be inferred, the next stop. Uh, did albeit... you see the figure on the street, though? I did. I did, yes. Adding to the confusion. Um, I, I also saw, as I suspect you did, Pete, that uh, he saw that Arthur Harrow was on the bus, but he only saw that after he, he uh, got off of it. Uh, and made his way to the museum, barely seen by JB. Donna wants him to take these monkeys downstairs, uh, but then he recognizes a man from the bus. I have to confess, Pete, I did not fully recognize the man from the bus, uh, but the fact, the, the most important fact, is that Stephen follows him deeper into the museum. Yes, and uh, JB uses <laughs> his mom as an excuse there, Um even though Donna wants Steven to take something down to the basement and he's still stuck on inventory, uh, Harrow surprises him from around one of the Egyptian columns there. He really does work there. He had assumed that Stephen Grant was an alias. Um, and Steve calls over Ronnie, the security guard, to try to handle it. But Ronnie rolls up his sleeve and he's got the same scale tattoo and says, praise 
Amit, maybe, Matt, Phase 4's Hail Hydra. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Steven knows, of course, the name Amit, uh, the world's first bogeyman, as he says in British. <laughs> Harrow says, uh, But yes. he wasn't a bogeyman. Um, Harrow explains that Amit would punish the guilty right away, seeing past, present, and future. She could have prevented Hitler, Nero, Pol Pot, all the evil. Pete, he left I've... out the big one that's become a source of people uh, committing digital vandalism, Matt. Wh- which one did I miss? The Armenian genocide and uh, morons who deny it have taken to IMDb to uh, give one star reviews because the show brought up the Armenian genocide. If you can believe that. That is that is bonkers, particularly in this line of dialogue. Uh, as I was watching it the first time, I was waiting for them to go. I was waiting for them to make what would have been an egregious writing moment to say Hitler, Nero, Pol Pot, you know, and the Battle of New York and Loki. And, you know, like, I'm glad that they kept it completely. They are saying, here's why Harrow is Team Amit. Amit would have prevented all this evil that we can unambiguously uh, agree is evil. And the fact that some people would deny uh, any of the worst moments of our humanity is is disappointing but uh, pete oddly not surprising in these in these strange times there's members of the turkish government that still deny between 600,000 and one and a half million were killed between uh 1915 and 1917 so much so that more than 100 years later matt clowns are going to imdb and leaving moon knight one star reviews so yeah, uh, here, the Armenian he, genocide matters. Uh, here, I think, is the positive takeaway of bringing truth to fiction. Uh, is I must confess, Pete, uh, I, I was not very aware of the Armenian genocide. But if it's an opportunity to talk about this, these hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of deaths taking place during the First World War, um, and, and to to give the briefest acknowledgement of the life lost, then. Again, I think it speaks to the credit. It speaks to the credit of the show to be referencing some real things, and then um, again to be defining Harrow as being against those evils too. I think it's I think it's a great use of it as a story. Great, great use of these real evils uh, as a story element within the fictional show. Well, Stephen acknowledges that none of those people were nice. Um, and Harrow continues that Amit was betrayed by her fellow indolent gods, uh, even by her own avatar. Avatars, blue people, also on Disney Plus. Uh, he loves that film. Maybe he means the anime, but Steven, stop it. Uh, he's not going to kill him. And Harrow knows about the voice in his head. It's relentless, forever unsatisfied. And no matter how hard he might try to please it, it devours until there's nothing left but a hollow shell. He rolls up his sleeve for that scale tattoo and grabs Stephen's arm. 
the more he asks for help, the more he begins to sound like the boy who cried wolf. And Harrow will try to help him, uh, even though uh, Stephen saw him kill that woman in the Alps. And he balances the cane here. Arthur only told her what millions more will soon learn. Uh, does he want to know the truth? Harrow asks him. And then the tattoo moves, but never stops. We never get the green good. We never get the red bad. He's told he has chaos in him. And the door that had closed behind him to prevent him from leaving opens and Harrow lets him go. Later that night, he's doing that uh, aforementioned nighttime inventory. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, we see lights going off across the museum. I have to admit, at first, uh, Pete, I thought it was lights going off kind of in, you know, the baddies are attacking style. No, 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 just settling into night mode. Stephen is ready to leave, and then he hears a dog deeper in the museum. Uh, he walks uh, towards it into the Egyptian wing, of course. Uh, the camera work shows his reflection and a reflection delayed. Uh, we see something lurking, perhaps multiple somethings. Uh, probably just the one, we can now say. Um, uh, things in the background are moving. There's more moaning from the dog, uh, even as um, Stephen looks on. Uh, he sees something shocking. We kind of see the creature um, at the edges of the camera, in reflections, out of focus. Um Again, that's a daring move. I mean, doubtless the creature has been fully rendered in 3D and all of that, and to kind of let it be scary because we're not seeing it is is an unusual Marvel choice. Uh, Steven throws his bag over there, and the dog-like creature goes for it. Uh, then it's chasing him properly. However, the camera work is unprecious as to framing the creature, keeping it uh, still out of focus, in shadows, uh, and so forth. And Stephen goes into the bathroom, and here, Pete, reflections on either side and a mirror at the end. Wait, that's three mirrors, Pete, and plenty of opportunities for lots of reflections. Stephen is told that the reflection can save him, the voice, uh, and it can't have him fighting him this time. He needs control. Does he understand control of what? But we're told that whatever it is is about to break through that door. Uh, Stephen says it's not real, but this voice within him tells him it's the only way. And to look at him, he's not going to die. Let him save them. And Stephen nods and his head tilts back and bandages begin to wrap around him. From down the hallway toward the bathroom, uh, the, the camera goes after the door is thrown in and a creature with horns comes in and we get that point of view. We have flashing lights. A sink is tossed out. And then as the creature attempts to flee, is pulled back in by a caped and hooded figure who stomps and kicks it. There's a sink gushing water and another broken one and a couple punches as the hooded figure rises and turns to walk toward the camera. Let's sink our teeth into some Sphinx stumping riddles. Pete, first one here. Do you think that we are going to get 
um, <laughs> the other 48 days type thing? Are we going to get the Mark version of what we have seen so far? Um, is there story benefit to seeing that, or are we going to get things advancing and just and, and just not necessarily circle back to see the Scarab heist? It's an interesting way to inform that narrative that we'll get those gaps in time or, you know, a, a card at the bottom six months earlier. Um, yes, I, I think what has happened will be disclosed. How it happens, well, just have to see. Pete, uh, we had discussed in the preview podcast how there seemed to be more actors going to the red carpet than there were announced actors for the show. Um, so color me surprised as uh, actress May Kalamawi and her character of Layla, we we heard from via phone, but but you know did not appear on camera. When do you think we get to meet Layla? I think we'll get her uh, relatively soon. I mean his wife and uh, a partner in archaeology. I think she's central to the story. Uh, that'll be there when we need it. Maybe not a full uh, story theory here, but uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tee up this compliment here. Any thoughts, Pete, on the direction of uh, Mohammed Diab and the music uh, of Hesham Nazi, uh, both of whom are, are, largely unknown on these shores but you know presented just a breath of fresh air in both of their vocations in this episode i mean the ability to direct action here unquestioned the use of darkness and then what you don't see you know that last sequence with the eyes of the creature visible and then behind the crocodile or alligator uh you know display the the movement behind that it's it's deliciously uh directed with a, a bent towards that horror genre um yeah just really well done and i know diab was instrumental in uh pushing for and insisting upon more you know more authentic presentation of egyptian culture and he's had a lot to say regarding you know people in egypt will see Egypt depicted and they'll be able to say look they're filming in Jordan they're filming in Arizona they're you know they're filming in you know the the uh deserts of Australia like they they know what their country looks like and what their country does not look like um it's interesting to me then I mean Diab has directed four of the six episodes um he will next see his work episode three episode five and episode six um Next week's directors, uh, the team of Benson and Moorhead, that's Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they did episodes two and four, uh, and they spoke with The Hollywood Reporter talking about big twists coming in episode four. So just as we got done with this episode, you know, watching this episode, it's like, okay, things are established. I get it. I get the uh, disassociative identity disorder. I get the multiple uh people going on in in his head i get the egyptian god and the powers and moon knight revealed at the end and so forth now pete we can start to think what's the big game-changing twist in episode four going to be so let me ask you pete what will it be well i've seen the first four i'm not going to tell you <laughs> pete is it you know to think that twist is going to be occurring 
on April 20th. You know, is it going to blow our minds, man? I mean, I can't wait to watch the last two. And, you know, they've done such a great job. We've talked all along how this series for the MCU is kind of WandaVision light. You know, so many questions came out of that. The difference here is, you know, people don't have a ton of awareness of this character. We've seen that in, in so many of the uh, responses we've gotten from, uh, you know, longtime listeners and, and new alike. Uh, so just to go down this exploration of this character uh, to the um, MCU here and uh, included for the first time is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's part of what is so refreshing about this series and this first episode that, you know, I love all the little references that you can pick up. And I love it when I know at the end of WandaVision, uh, when the uh, when the, the the agent revealed to be an alien says he wants to talk to you, talk to you. Where is he? And They point up. I know that that's setting up Secret Invasion. They're talking about Sam Jackson, who last we saw the real Sam Jackson at the end of Spider-Man, at the, at all of this. It's also just nice to watch this episode and go, okay, I know this guy has like multiple identities and there's going to be some like Egyptian spirit magic kind of thing. Beyond that, I have no idea what's going on and I'm entirely dependent on the story. And the story really hammers home a great protagonist in Steven a great uh and and somewhat scary hero in moon knight as revealed at the you know in the last moments of the episode and a hypnotically compelling uh baddie baddie question mark in arthur harrow yeah um what ethan hawk is selling in this role and the compelling nature of what he's doing and what it could all mean is, you know, just really, really intriguing. So speaking of Arthur Harrow, I mean, look, I think we can widely anticipate he is the bad guy, period. But for what has been presented in this episode, let's start with this, Pete. Did the, did the will of Amit, um, pull out that old woman's life force or is Arthur is Arthur Harrow running a big scam and did he just outright kill a woman because he needed to show to the crowd sometimes there's good people and sometimes there's bad people and you're here to see the you're here to see the circus and now's you know now's where we pull the head off the chicken so to speak it's so different from anything we've seen in the MCU the idea of these tattoos and uh his moves and you're judged, and if it's not good, that you're going to die from that, and that he draws the distinction that he does it with less power than Amit does it, and then raising the idea that Amit was betrayed, you know, indolent, another word for lazy, these other gods, was Khonshu uh, one of those gods, and is this... Hence the the grudge against Stephen, Mark, and uh, Moon Knight. Well, on the topic of the gods, I saw some, you know, breathless uh, blog article headline or something like that. It was like, you know, are there are there gods in the MCU? And it's like, 
Well, I mean, uh, there's all these like, what? there's all these super powered people that you can. Do you even MCU? Yeah, like like <laughs> Thor counts, right? Like Thor counts as both, you know, a god and not like a god god. Like, yeah, if you want to tell me for the purposes uh, of this Loki? show, uh, what? Yeah, like <laughs> surprise, the Egyptian Egyptian lore uh, was actually true, but they've been. They had their powers greatly reduced, or they've been hanging out, or they barely come to Earth anymore. Like whatever excuse you want to give for why the Egyptian gods don't walk amongst us today, like whatever story I mean, reason. Eternals kind of teased this series up pretty well. Yeah. Um. To me, it's no contradiction that that um we can have these characters here. It's no, you know, I'm not concerned. Like, well, where does Kanchu fit into the MCU chronology? Like. Uh, you want to tell me Kanchu has been there for thousands and thousands of years as a mystical being? Okay. You want to tell me that Kanchu, you know, uh, arrived in the, the the chariot of the gods style thing, that they, he's an alien who landed here thousands of years ago with the other Egyptian gods? That's cool, too. Like, however you want to explain it. I'm not, I'm not worried that prior to Iron Man saying, I am Iron Man, Kanchu was puttering around. Like, it, it, it's all good. It's all pretend. It's all fun. What is with the glass in Haru's uh, sandals, and why doesn't he seem to bleed? Uh, I would agree that it seems to not greatly affect him, and I would agree that it seems that he's not bleeding. I do wonder if some of that is just a, like, you know, are we going to have this guy be unable to walk in all these scenes where we've written things like, Harrow appears at the rear of the square and walks to the fountain at the center. Like some of it might just be a story practicality. Some of it might be, we're going to give you the suggestion that he's all sliced up, but we're not going to like go, you know, PG 16 blood, bloody steps. You know, I, I would wonder Pete, do we get a scene where the sandals come off and his feet are bound in gauze or something like that. We see the bloody gauze or we see him, you know, like kind of, kind of, you know, when, when he's able to sit and he's able to take the sandals off, that's when he kind of lets the pain in. Um, so I would say it's, unre it seems, it seems unresolved or unattended to in this episode. I think perhaps it's just setting up a resolution that will happen. Does Steven's mother actually exist? And, uh considering that these postcards and the meaning of where they're from perhaps or these places that he goes uh when he's sleeping i i do think that we are going to get um we're going to get a reveal of the postcards um and some sort of like Honestly, Pete, something that uh, I, I'm not I'm not deeply saddened by it, but I'm saddened at the notion that we are going to get the revelation at a later point that it is Stephen who's not the authentic presence, like that he was born Mark until the lightning hit him or until the clunk on the head or until whatever it might be that that Stephen is not the authentic to, to whatever degree one can treat a persona for uh you know within um disassociative identity disorder uh, you know a as inauthentic the notion that steven isn't kind of the base model or the first one or, or whatnot i think there's potential for that now back to your question do we meet mom um 
I was going to say yes because I saw a small thing regarding people who are appearing in the show. However, that's not to say that just because they have an actress who's going to play a role, that's not to say that it's not an illusion or that, that if we do see mom, that's not going to be, you know, here's a video of mom with Mark. Like it's not necessarily Steven's mother, which I think that only serves to add the sense of pathos that we feel for the character. We all have bad days. We all have times where we are met with something that is not in our skill set. All that we see of Steven is that's his entire existence, that he's never good enough. He's always looked down upon. He's always endlessly positive, even when people are not. He's always doing the right thing and being nice and all of that. And I think that it's setting up a tragic house of cards that's going to come come crashing down. The idea of solving puzzles to stay awake and with this series essentially being a giant puzzle. I think was a master stroke and what are we doing now? You know, putting all these little pieces of evidence together to try to figure out what it all means. Well, and to stick with that puzzle metaphor, while, while I would tend to agree that um, we're probably not going to get the story moving backward in terms of like, now here's mercenary Mark killing the people in that, germanic looking town and then well we no, he's gonna disappear and then we're not gonna see the steven stuff and mark is gonna reappear in the in the cupcake truck like that's not particularly compelling it, it still could be the case they're, they're you know do they do they put the missing puzzle piece in or is it just the notion of missing puzzle pieces uh, you know i guess we'll see the judgment aspect of what amit does and what harrow is you know bringing hastening um i can't help but feel with what happened with uh thanos snap with people blipping back this idea of you know making earth as much like heaven is there some kind of idea that perhaps this world they want to make um, almost like a, a leftovers type of situation or a rapture that the people that didn't disappear attempting to take hold of their destinies. I think that that's a sentiment that the show could explore. I do think that there's, there's a strong possibility that, aside from a passing line here and there like you know you know our movement existed before the snap and now there's even more people who believe like i think the show might be well served by not saying this is a post snap nervousness in society and some people are drawn to this new extremism and if there wasn't the snap then you know what maybe this wouldn't have happened I feel like the show, the show using a character that we've never seen before in the MCU, using a character that's not well known in general, I think the show would be well served to just acknowledge vaguely where it's at in the timeline, but not, not give us as we have wondered in other series, you know, and then the multiverse is here, you know, the, are we anticipating at the end of episode 106 that Moon Knight 2032 is going to come through the, 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 the portal, like, no, I think we can just let the I, I would welcome this show just existing in its own little 
space, which is not in conflict or not, you know, not some alternate reality to the main MCU, not, not that far, but just to say these are Moon Knight problems in Moon Knight's perspective and not necessarily like, and when will Moon Knight fight Thanos' grandkid? <laughs> the concept of these scales of Onmit seeing everything and that something could lie ahead you could do terribly that would influence you know whether you would be judged as good or bad and then obviously the inability to get a read on steven because of mark because of uh moon knight because of uh we've seen in advertisements the the mr knight personality is gonna emerge i mean yeah it's a, a mystical magical concept but they defeat the logic they lay out that you can't tell if he's gonna do something bad or whether he's good and just solve that dilemma well it is an interesting point that you raise because we we as viewers know like of course moon knight is not a you know a terrible killer of course there's good in him um because it's like a marvel show so and if, and add to it you know if if one did not know about the uh disassociative identity disorder prior to the show like it's made pretty clear enough oh man there's nice steven and then he kind of flashes and a, 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 a you know another personality takes over and does all these terrible uh things okay we get it we get that there's this conflict here if arthur harrow is running a big scam and it's like we're gonna get him taking off the hollow tattoo that is programmed by, you know, his number two guy to some people go green. Some people go, well, if it's all a scam, we know that Steven, we know that Moon Knight, Mark, etc. We know that there's this mix of good and bad. Um, so does that give credence to what Harrow is doing is, truthful on some some reality truthful not just in his perspective but a real real read on these people if so then we're we're getting into the magic and the mystical maybe more than we have uh previously in the mcu what is up with the scarab and then this idea of an exchange did mark or another personality on board set up some kind of fake exchange to kill the bad guys. I think that it is possible that Mark or one of the others did set up a fake exchange. I do hope like for as much as I'm arguing, Hey show, you don't actually need to show us Mark's portion of that. I do think that it'll be a little disappointing if we get to the end of the six episodes and the scarab was just a MacGuffin and it was just a thing that people wanted. I'd love to hear of like, it could be as simple as a sequential thing. Harrow needs the scarab, the obelisk and the chalice. And we can kind of chart our progress. You know, we don't know that yet, but we can chart progress. It's like, oh man, now he's gotten a hold of the obelisk, but where could the chalice be? Let's get help from Layla. Let's get help from whomever. Um, and that that's leading towards some sort of, you know, once all three are together, you can bring back bring back Amit or you know whatever it is. There's some sort of grand showdown, um, which, if nothing else, would then say, "Oh, right, it's because the scarab goes into the chest piece or the sarcophagus or you know whatever it is." I, I would like more 
puzzle piece resolution for that. Speaking of pieces, the the big action set piece in this episode, the cupcake van chase, can't even call it a car chase. Um, Steven says it has to be a dream. And then how does he come out of that? You know, there's the the big log uh, you know, the remnants of which take out the two guys and then ultimately hit him in the van. Was any of that a dream is what we consider the waking world a dream that's all on the table right it is particularly like i wasn't i run spoiler free as longtime listeners know and i didn't know whether i was happy to have read uh this this uh interview from uh benson and moorhead the uh episode two and episode four directors saying there's going to be not just a twist but like kind of you know a game changer in episode four okay would we have had this discussion without them saying that that you know what if what we is what we are assuming is reality what if it's not actually reality i think we would have had that discussion anyway i think you know viewers in general would have at some point whether it's this episode or you know future episodes hey certain things don't line up what's the nature of reality that's it's super interesting um you know it's always a double-edged sword you know pete i feel for gus the goldfish or i guess now it's two gus's the goldfish you know i i know that i cannot like donna but maybe there's something to redeem donna jb likes those otter videos that would be great if he gets to just enjoy otter videos more if you reveal that all of that actually has been a dream I might feel a little cheated. It's, you know, it's all in the execution. The goldfish and obviously not just included this episode, but, you know, part of the title somehow intertwined with Steven. Certainly if, I mean, if nothing else to me, it's saying that when Mark, if indeed it is just Mark, I know we have the potential for way more characters, but if, if, if it's time for Mark to wrap things up and Mark knows I'm going to bed, but I need to reset for Steven. Um, oh man, something happened to the goldfish, which now Pete, since we know something happened to the Gus one, maybe that does suggest that we're going to get the Mark flashback missing pieces. I don't know what to think anymore. Um, but it's, it suggests to me that Mark says, all right, it's time for me to go to bed. It's time for me to hand things back over to Steven oh, wait, I need to reset for Steven. I need to have a goldfish in there. I need to do the tape. I need to do the sand and all of that. Um, weirdly, with just with, with no Mark scene in the episode, it does suggest a certain um, knowledge of the multiple personalities. It also, also suggests a certain sympathy coming from uh, Mark. The two-day gap from, uh, you know, Steven's point of view and then what has happened in between that you know he went to the alps that we had what happened there um obviously that his flat has been maintained that the tape was put back up and he was sealed in clearly whoever takes control knows to do these things and not violate steven's continuity um but with all the other things going on that he had 
uh, gone to the pet shop <laughs> and and asked about the fish the day before. So, you know, could it even be opened up to a, a memory issue? It's not unusual for people who suffer from insomnia to have uh, memory issues. So you're proposing that perhaps there's more to Stephen as a personality. You know, again, we are understanding it's multiple personalities. He's not. So you're suggesting that perhaps there would be more to the Stephen personality than is suggested by the fact that there's also a Mark. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting take. I do wonder, like, how well... How well could that be demonstrated on screen? Like to sit and go, I'm very nice, Mr. Broom guy. And then go, I'm Mark, American accent, running gun, (laughs) da, da, da. Um, How do you show? Yeah. So is is it then, you know, Steven is like, all right, you wanker. You know, like I I feel like it might be a shade of, it's a great idea. It might be a shade of gray that, that might've been killed in the writer's room. Um, Certainly, I, perhaps we could agree on this, Pete. That's not a huge episode four reveal that Steven is actually also a meanie who is going to bonk Broom Guy on the head. <laughs> like the, That's not quite befitting the wait until you see the game changer, right? Uh, I'm sworn to secrecy, Matt. I'll answer your question with uh, my question. Did Steven eat steak? Um... Did Stephen eat steak? If he did, well, then clearly he's not holding up his end as a as a vegetarian, vegan. as a vegan. Um, I mean, I, again, we're in this really weird territory where it's like we know that there's multiple personalities. So did he order it because his tum tum was saying I kind of would like steak, and he wasn't fully thinking things through? But then later on the way home, Mark ate it out of the out of the you know foil, and then he turned back to Stephen before throwing out the flowers. Like uh, Pete, I I continue to be weirdly arguing for the Mark flashback stuff, even though I don't know that it would really advance things much. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say Stephen did not eat the steak. Stephen did not consciously eat the steak. If he was still in Steven mode and ate it, it's because he was so zoned out and worried about other things, much as any one of us might, you know, like, where did my keys go? Oh, wait, they went in the bowl? I don't remember putting them there. Yeah, because you were focused on other things. So I- I'm going to give conscious Steven the out for breaking his vegan uh, vow. Layla hasn't seen Mark in months. So whatever steven's deal is and whether this is the first time he's ever shown up manifested before something had to set all this up right you know for her texts and calls to go unanswered for that long and then she hangs up on him not like i'm gonna come find you was she on the phone long enough to get a fix on him um I mean, that would be one handy way to, like, have her suddenly show up next episode. It does also suggest to me the fact that the fact that he is acting so unusual. It's his it's Mark's voice, but a British accent. Does she know about the multiple personalities? 
to what degree is she aware and so forth then there's the added layer of we are assuming in part because um kanshu is saying you know give the body back to mark we are assuming that it has been Stephen or Mark, Stephen or Mark, um, and Mark has been taking over in these missing portions, even in the, what, three, five days, you know, however long the first episode takes place over, which is just a handful of days. Um, we know Mark has taken over, but he's not given Layla a call back. So is that suggesting a third, a third persona? I mean, that would set up the fact that there's multiple kind of let's say superpower personas that we have seen in advertising uh you, you know moon knight mr knight and so forth so could it be setting something up is it a comment that mark while kind enough to replace the goldfish is also a jerk to his lady layla um could it be both we will see jb gets out of a conversation by saying his bombs on the phone bad steven leaving messages with his mother, JB is a security guard. Stephen lacks security. Again, there's a pathway for this seeming real-time story to be symbolic in nature. I'm going to choose my words carefully here, Pete, because there was a show that I enjoyed the first season of and the second season of, and then I kind of fell off because it got super complex. Um, and a show that you have not seen much of or any of. Uh, the show is Mr. Robot, which is not about a robot. Um, they pull off a certain conceit in the first season, and it's mind-blowing. They pull off a similar conceit in the second season, but it's done differently. The, the exact nature of it is different. So even if you see it coming, you're like, but this, that, the other, it can't be. And then when they finally pull the pin on that grenade and go, here's here's the game changer, you go, oh my goodness, this was a thousand times more complex than I thought. Of course, I couldn't quite get my head wrapped around it. I thought it was four things and it's actually 40 things. So I will conclude this murky speech by saying this, Pete. It will, it'll be mind-blowing indeed if some of these minor, nearby useless characters like Donna and JB, if they are revealed to be integral, just as, a, as opposed to Donna's mean, but she makes Steven say things like, I'm Steven. Look, Steven. Audience, my name is Steven. Um, if, they're, if, they're, if they're key to the whole thing, uh, that's maybe something to watch out for because other shows have done that in a really, really, really compelling way. And then obviously the reference to chaos, potentially chaos magic here within Steven uh, tied into what uh, Wanda has tapped into and what uh, Agatha Harkness has. Well, Pete, that would tie perfectly with the different things that uh, people in the know have said about this show. Uh, Kevin Feige has said uh, there's a potential for uh, Moon Knight and other shows like Ms. Marvel. Of course, we know Ms. Marvel headed to the Marvels, but there's a potential for Moon Knight to launch in on TV and head to the movies. Uh, we have uh, Oscar Isaac saying this is a limited series, and after these six episodes, I'm not contracted to play Moon Knight. 
Uh, then there's the director, Mohammed Diab, who says he doesn't know if there could be a future. So, Pete, there's there's no connection to anything. There's all connection to anything. Could the end of Moon Knight be a handoff to uh, House of Harkness coming in 18 months? Sure. Could Moon Knight show up uh, as I believe you have teased? Do, do I have the dates correct? Yes. Moon Knight 106 is the same day as Doctor Strange releases. Um, give or take, I guess that's a, uh, pardon me, it's a, the Wednesday for Moon Knight, then Thursday previews for Doctor Strange, Friday full release. Could Moon Knight, unbeknownst to all of us, could Moon Knight be a major supporting character in Doctor Strange? Sure. Uh, might we, might episode 106 feature the death of, uh, the death of the body. And we have this great scene where Mark and Moon Knight and, uh, Steven and others are all fading away into the darkness and we all say i didn't know a marvel show could make me cry but it did well i guess i cried at the end of wandavision now i'm I'm crying even more and there really is no more in moon knight it's all possible pete it's now time for our toot and comments starting with uh our traditional twitter poll um we had said that uh there's quite a start to Moon Knight, uh, but how did the goldfish problem leave you, the listener, uh, for no moon, too dark for me? That got 6.1%. Uh, mm-hmm. One moon, Crescent Moon Creeks, got 2%. Uh, two moons, half moon, haha. Uh, Pete, I was trying to go for alliteration here. I felt inspired, okay? Uh, 14.3%. And then full moon, wow, three moons. Full moon, wow, got 77.6%. So some, some great... Uh, replies there are some great votes in terms of replies we heard from make it so that's k-c-l-y-l-e-1 on twitter i loved it lots of questions almost no answers a great setup definitely set mk up as more than just marvel's batman isaac does a great job as grant the schlub can't wait to see more specter my only issue no way grant can drive like that mark backseat driving uh that works for me right there's got to be some benefits to this you know, challenging disorder. James the Sagacious, that's at uh, Big Killen on Twitter, says, blown away by Oscar's acting. I want to move to London so I can master using cheers. <laughs> um, JT Adkins, JTA is me, uh, says, this character is unfamiliar territory for me, but certainly Oscar Isaac's performance plays tremendously with tight writing and direction. I'm not by nature a fan of super dark, but I'm certainly giving it a go. And I'll admit it's well done. Pete, I will say this, Uh, you know, the early buzz for Doctor Strange 2 before it was even beginning to film and all that was like Marvel's first horror movie. And then it was like, or the director is being shown the door because it's going to be a widow spooky. I kind of feel like that was this, too. I don't know that the show is ever going to get super dark. I think we're going to get I I think we're going to get things like a giant Egyptian skull god walking towards us before we find out he's actually our friend. I think the thrills that they inject to the seeming horror um, straddles that line. So, you know, we, we went through the whole thing of the Netflix Marvel catalog coming over to Disney Plus And what was it a question of? You got to change your... Uh, your parental settings. Is that the case? I haven't flipped them back to see would I be able to watch 
Moon Knight, are they, you know, saying that it's in that realm? Um, I, I think it works with the character. Next tweet here, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo1983. The goldfish problem left me stunned, overjoyed, and wanting more. Oscar Isaac is a gem. This show is different from all the other Disney Plus shows in its presentation and lack of ties to the current MCU. Marvel has another hit on its hands. I am here for the ride. Let's go. Next, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 This was a smart and deliciously confusing intro to Stephen Grant, and I loved getting his perspective and seeing his topsy-turvy life through his eyes. I couldn't think of a better way to start the series, and I'm sure I'll want more than six episodes when I'm done. Leave them wanting more. Uh, next, Rose Ferry, Anna Rose 584. Phenomenal. Uh, Pete, I was going to say it's phenomenal with a PH. Uh, it, I guess phenomenal is always with a PH, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But nonetheless, appreciate it. Uh, I don't know anything about Moon Knight except what is in this show, so I'll be looking forward to each episode of the podcast to fill in the gaps. And episode one is an amazing start. Uh, next, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. I've never been so concerned for goldfish in my life. This is by <laughs> far my favorite first episode of the shows. I'm totally wow. locked in to see where this goes. Steven is adorable, but now I need more info on Mark. Let's bring on the weird. And she includes a GIF GIF of uh, the Val character saying to um, U.S. agents, things are about to get weird. Uh, next, Pete, we hear from Stingray at TrekGirl88. This was a ride. Uh, that was a ride. I have uh, no prior knowledge of Moon Knight, but I didn't need to. Everything I need is there. Mystery, drama, a wild-ass car chase, and Egyptian <laughs> mythology. I'm all in. I realize in retrospect, Pete, let me pause her words for a second because she has some more. Uh, probably like they didn't need to pitch this show because it was like Marvel studios is cooking this up. We're just going to run it by the bosses, but it probably wasn't like we need a, we need an elevator pitch, but here's an elevator pitch, Pete mystery drama, a wild ass car chase and Egyptian mythology. I think Trek girl Cold. 88. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also adds, uh, as long as there are no more scenes, uh, so I'm all in, asterisk, as long as there are no more scenes like that first one, Arthur pouring broken glass into his sandals and stepping into them was almost too much for me. Next, we hear from Darren Bell, Darren B46052059. It's an easy name to remember, Pete. Uh, really enjoyed this episode. I <laughs> Common theme here, Pete. I had no real knowledge of this character, but I think they introduced him well. Had a lot more humor than I was expecting. Couldn't help but laugh at Konshu's comments throughout. And who would have thought Wake Me Up Before You Go Go was a perfect song for a car chase? Mm -hmm. Harrow seems like a great villain, but would have been more impressed if he'd used Legos instead of glass for the opening scene. <laughs> that would have been too much. That would have been too much. Yeah. Plus, you're, you know, your Lego set's no good anymore if you're going <laughs> to trample on it and you're, uh, you know, you're going to break it and then trample on it. Uh, LMD Mary at Geek Kirk says this was an excellent hook to the series, gave just enough for true investment, but left you wanting more. The opening scene, though, is a masterclass in setting up a terrifying character with no exposition, just the visuals. Chef Kiss uh, and Bob Keeley, uh, the, the, the wise Bob Keeley, replied to that. Mary said it very well. Then he used the 100 emoji. Uh, next, Pete, we hear from David Siller. It's at Siller David Poet. What a great start to Moon Knight. I'm glad it came along when it did because now fans know uh, that they're building and creating a world for the character, which takes time. I haven't seen any commentary about how slow it was, a la WandaVision, or complaints about a lack of action until the last 30 seconds. 
Everything with the show has sucked me in. Visuals, acting, editing, uh, action. We've barely opened Kanchu's box, so the next five episodes will be jam-packed. Can't wait for what's next. This is going to be epic. Uh, and then he specifies action equals superhero doing superhero things. I loved how most of the episode we only experienced the exploits of Mark slash Moon Knight through Steven's return to consciousness to see the results. Next, Pete, we hear from Jordan Tanner, Mighty uh, underscore Jor. I loved how Steven would black out and then regain control seemingly without time passing from his perspective. This uh, is a similar approach to Severance on Apple TV Plus, which is also very well done. Severance filmed in Fantastic Geek's backyard. Uh, oh, was that in uh, Homedale? By all labs, yeah. There we go. Uh, next, Pete, we hear from BikeBRH. That's at BikeBRH on Twitter. I gave up after 25 minutes. If half the show is going to be that one guy making an ass out of himself, it's a hard pass from me. Uh, Pete, I would propose that uh, we should feel bad for uh, for Steven throughout the whole episode and that they're presenting a guy who's in a pretty rough situation. Like we We, we should be frustrated by the fact that life is so tough for him. I think you got to give it a little bit more of a chance. Um, you know, they're going to make clear why Steven and his personality manifests in such a way. And you can't have the highs. You, you can't have the confident without the incompetent. Last tweet, Pete, comes from Snow Goggles. That's at Snow Goggles on Twitter. So much wow. Fantastic start. Want to have it all now. Here's the good news, Snow Goggles and Pete. May the 4th, you will. You'll have all six episodes. They just got to wait once a week for the next couple of weeks. Pete, what do you have over there on the Facebook? Steve Adams, Matt, writes into Fantastic Geek's Facebook page, Cupcake as an assault weapon? I did not see that coming. I thought I knew what to expect from Moon Knight, but this was more intense than I had anticipated. Who is Layla? What does the scarab symbolize? How did the fish grow back, uh, grow its fin back? Uh, I feel like all these questions are related to the overall story. Yes, even the goldfish. I have so many questions and I can't even come up with any good theories yet, which is okay because I am usually wrong, unlike Spoiler Pete. <laughs> Uh, I am all in on this ride. Bring on episode two. Until then, stay fantastic. And he spelled it with the PH. There you go. Uh, I, I would propose, and I could be wrong. Oftentimes I'm wrong. I propose that the goldfish's uh, fin did not grow back, that it's a new goldfish. Then asking what happened with Gus number one. Um, uh, Pete, can you give us an answer uh, as to the Gus issue, or is that best left? behind the spoilery veil to apple podcast matt where we have a new review by disappointed in bootant it's five stars the uh title reads fantastic geek is my go-to for the mcu and the review says matt and pete are who i listen to for reviews and discussion of all marvel movies and tv shows they bring the knowledge and respect that these properties deserve. Highly recommend the PG podcasts. Well, disappointed in Bootent. Glad to hear that you're not disappointed in us. With that, Pete, we have an audio message from Jeremy in Australia. 
Hi, Matt and Pete and listeners. My name is Jeremy. I live in Melbourne, which is in Australia, if you haven't picked up on the accent yet. And with discussion of this first Moon Knight episode, it's accent that I want to start with. But first, let me preface my comments with the fact that I still don't know who Moon Knight is. While I've watched all the Marvel Cinematic Universe content on the big and small screen, listened to all Fantastic Geek accompanying podcast series, of course, I've never heard of the character Moon Knight before and certainly haven't read any of the comics, so I'm jumping into this TV series blind in this respect, but enjoying it nonetheless. Back to accent. Look, being a TV and movie watcher in Australia growing up, we, I was used to being bombarded with American accents over the years. But in episode one of Moon Knight, how refreshing it was to hear Stephen's thick British accent jarring against what is usually presented as the norm. This contrasted with the other varied, sometimes booming voices of perhaps Stephen's different personalities. And the sound treatment they are given is shocking, but in a good way. It really made me pay attention as a viewer. It was also great to see that filming appears to have been done with genuinely different outdoor locations, which is sometimes missing in many current, even Disney Plus series today. The other thing I wanted to say is this this seems to be a caring and imaginative presentation of one kind of mental illness. I don't suffer from a multiple personality disorder, but if that is what is being referenced in this show, the confusion, interruption and bewilderment being portrayed gives me great comfort that the creative team behind this show have done their research to make this a genuinely authentic or faithful presentation of this element of the character. As a noob to this series, I'm going to heavily rely on Pete and Matt and other contributors to really assist me to get the most out of this series. The little nuances and information you provide turn most 8 or 9 out of 10 episodes into 11s each time, and I'm even talking about Inhumans. Thanks for helping my understanding and engagement with each of these series, and my small Patreon contribution each month is the least I can do for the many years of information and enjoyment you two have provided me. I actually encourage all other listeners to do the same, if, like me, Fantastic Geek has become an indispensable part of your modern entertainment world. Thanks very much, guys. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Very thoughtful uh, feedback and compliments. Uh, If you could see here, I'm blushing. I can't speak for Matt, but I'm sure he is as well. The bit about the accents, uh, yeah, I think the way that uh the the choice they've made with uh steven to present him in such a way and even like i said the the steak scene the the restaurant and the, the way with both the mannerisms and the dialogue he sells that you never believe that he is just doing a voice you believe he is the character and that's the strength of, you know, the performer. I'm sure he has uh, an accent, a dialogue coach to help him with that, but really takes ownership of it. Uh, perhaps in the future, Jeremy could weigh in on the the debate. Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins, authentic or worst <laughs> accent ever? Um, Jeremy had also talked there about the the caring and imaginative take on uh, disassociative identity disorder as a mental illness. It, it was it was obviously I kind of knew that was part of the character. It was one of the few things I knew about for watching the episode. Watch it the first time. It's action. It's adventure. It's mystery. It's magic. All of that. Watch it again a day or two later with my wife and uh, Pete. 
look, I don't want to suggest that she's easily bored. Uh, it was noteworthy in this busy world of ours. And here I am. Hey, you want to watch the Marvel show with me? Um, her phone and my phone, they were both my second view, her first view. The phones were away the entire time, which is high praise indeed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got to talking afterwards, like in addition to, you know, the fisticuffs and the mystery and all of that. It's like how terrible it must be to have this associative identity disorder. Like it's one thing to kind of make your way through this world, figuring out who you are and what you're about and your perspective and all that. But at least it's just the one of you. Like it must be so jarring for the the identities let alone for the people around them just trying to say well here's the one person and who am i dealing with today like i appreciate that we feel sympathy for steven because even if they kind of move away from that nuance as we get to the parts can work together and now we're going to fight the baddie at the end of this season now we're going to go join you know dr strange next month or whatever it is what's kind of more more fun it's it's a really sympathetic um, foundation that the character is built upon. And on top of that, that from Steven's perspective, it would seem to be undiagnosed. He takes no medicine. He's not speaking to anyone as a form of therapy. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, based on the presentation with the ankle restraints and the sand to see if he leaves any footprints and the, uh, painter's tape on the door that he thinks he sleepwalks. I would very much agree that he thinks he sleepwalks. Um, and, and there's, there's a, uh, well, I would also say, uh, would I be completely surprised if, you know, Mark, I mean, clearly Mark is tiptoeing those things and, and whatnot. Um, but there's an separate from the fact that F Murray Abraham is voicing a computer generated Egyptian God. There's something basically scary about the idea that this guy, Stephen, you know, needs more medical help than he is getting, um, and he doesn't know it. You know, that's that's a really scary thing. It's one thing to be like, "Yikes, I I messed up with the scissors. I'm bleeding. Time to go get help." It being a mental illness that can be hidden, and here it's just you know, oh, he's a quirky guy who shows up late to his rather low level job. You know, here he is walking around in as Stephen in pain in the world, let alone the 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 real world complexity of dealing with uh, with these you know multiple identities. It, it's again, it's a really sympathetic foundation for everything. Well, thanks again, Jeremy, for the audio there, and particularly the encouragement for people to check out Patreon.com/slash Fantastic Geek. Yes, uh, a much appreciated reminder uh, that we are listener supported by those patrons, uh, particularly as you know the storage and the bandwidth all all be put to a test in these uh, next couple months. Um, not just with the golden hours of Moon Knight, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and Doctor Strange Two coming out, uh, but the very busy uh, June with podcasting three series at the same time: Kenobi, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, and Ms. Marvel. Uh, so that mentioned very much appreciated. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. Takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. So get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today and check it out. And of course, Pete, let's keep the moon Knight conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? 
can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,442 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Coming up tomorrow on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be talking Picard episode 205. Can't believe we're at the midpoint of the season. Uh, of course, if you're here just for Moon Knight, we'll be back next Saturday to talk more about Mark Spector, or is it Stephen Grant, or who else will it be? For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Laters, Gators. Gators.